are on social media without stumbling onto an argument about the GOAT. How many of you know what the acronym the GOAT stands for? <laughs> Greatest of all time. Especially in the areas of, of athletics. Like you can't, you can't scroll and see there's arguments about athletics. It's kind of strange because I don't really hear arguments about baseball. Like, you'll hear people talk about the, oh, he was a great player, he was a great player. But you don't really see, like, an argument. Well, who was the greatest? Was it, was it Hank Aaron? Was it Mark McGuire? Was it Babe Ruth? Was it, I mean, like, you don't read about those arguments. People literally will talk about the greats, but not who's number one. As much as I dislike it, oh, I hate it. Tom Brady, quarterback of the Patriots and now the Buccaneers, has won seven Super Bowl rings. He's usually referred to as the greatest of all time. And when someone has seven rings, it's hard to argue. I can't stand it. It frustrates me, but I'll, I'll, I'll give in. Um, but in basketball, the argument forever rages. It doesn't so much with, bat, with baseball and with, with football. But in basketball, people talk about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Wilt Chamberlain, Tim Duncan, LeBron James. Well, I think I've, there we go. Kobe Bryant, Bill Russell. People argue these points on TV shows and radio, YouTube channels. My son Jude's getting interested in sports, and sometimes he'll watch these, these guys debate on YouTube about and I'm like, who in the world cares? So I've already, the Bible says train up a child on the way sh they should go. So I'm already training up my son that he knows there's no argument. He knows that number one is right here. <laughs> so he knows, right? He, he, he's being raised, he's being raised right. LeBron James, <laughs> LeBron, if you're watching this, you're a solid player, but please. So he's, he's, he's being raised right, and so I just want you to know that, and so anything else is false doctrine. Um, but the title this evening is Perform or Produce. Perform or Produce. In areas of horse racing circles. <laughs> if you just walked in, you're like, they're talking about Air Jordan and horse racing. Did I go to the wrong place? Um, most critics agree that in horse racing, it was a horse named Secretariat. Has anyone ever heard of this horse? Y'all know more than I do, okay? Please understand, I know next to nothing about horse racing. Next to nothing. My family and I toured Churchill Downs. We toured it a couple years back, 2018, I believe, uh, we were there in Louisville because, by the way, it's not Louisville, it's Louisville. Um, Louisville in 2018 for general conference. And so, to me, I'm one of those people, if I'm in the area, I'm not going to Applebee's, I'm not going to Chili's. Like, I look on Yelp, what's the highest rated restaurant if I need to drive 12 miles? I want to try what the locals say is awesome. So, if I go to Churchill Downs, like, that's the big thing. I'm like, man, I want to go, within reason, I'm not going to go sin or anything. But if there's something that's pretty well known in that area, I'm like, well, hey, this is a piece of history. I want to see what it's like. So, we went here, and I just want to clarify, they were practicing. We were not actually betting on horses. <laughs> I just, there's going to be a vote next week to get new pastor. It's just, 
I was not voting. We were not, we were not betting on horses, all right? We were, just, uh, we were just all there and watching them practice and walking through and touring. And This greatest of all time horse named Secretariat was born into horse racing royalty at a farm that spared no expense in, in caring and training this horse. And this risky decision paid off with historic results. The three-year-old stallion won the triple crown in staggering fashion. Now, the triple crown for all of us who know nothing about horse racing, triple crown is when a horse wins the three most prestigious races in horse racing, which are Belmont Stakes, Kentucky Derby. We got Belmont Stakes, Kentucky Derby. One more. Preakness. Who said that? All right. We got three horse people that know, that know horses. All right. Preakness. Kentucky Derby, Belmont Stakes. Since 1919, this feat has only been accomplished 13 times. That's more than 100 years and 13 Triple Crown winners. Very prestigious. When Secretariat did it, it was unlike any of the other 12 that did it. Facing a field of five horses, Secretariat won by 31 lengths. Again, that sounds awesome, but if you don't know horse race, I had to look all this up. I've prepared for this message, which is probably around 240 to 280 feet. This was the largest margin of victory in Belmont history. His winning time of 2 minutes and 24 seconds still stands as the American record for a mile and a half on dirt. Even after his death, Secretariat still holds celebrity status as the greatest of all time. Him and Jordan. But after that victory, due to financial pressure, the owners syndicated Secretariat. In a horse ownership syndication, a group of people come together to purchase ownership in a promising horse for a professional event uh, rider. This group purchased Secretariat for a then historic rate of $6.08 million with the agreement, get this, not to race and try and win, but that the stallion would retire from racing right at the end of 73, right after they won. He won the, the Triple Crown. That seems odd, right? Well, that was because the real money was not in racing, but in breeding. And so... Those 32 shareholders supposedly had a piece of the legend, at least on paper, and said, well, now we're going to breed this historic, one-of-a-kind, greatest-of-all-time horse and make millions and create hundreds of winners, you know, not just one. Well, something happened that no one could have really guessed. This amazing racehorse never really produced any significant offspring. On, uh, he sired one Belmont winner and one Preakness winner, and that's it. But critics review his 16 crops and conclude he was, and I quote, an inadequate producer. You see, performers can make history, 
producers shape history. Performers make history. Producers shape history. Secretariat was a performer. He was never a producer. But now go back with me. Go back from that point, July, or just, I'm sorry, just 14 miles from where Secretariat lies outside of Lexington, Kentucky. And when you go back to April 8th, 1940, 30 years before Secretariat was born, and three partners had bought three mares, female horses, and one of them was named Myrtle D. Full the colt that the, partner would, the partners would name Three Bars. Has anyone ever heard of Three Bars? Not one. I wonder if anyone in online. If you're watching online, tell me if you've heard of Three Bars. Three Bars showed the promise to do just that. He had impressive speed. But as a two-year-old colt, he began experiencing lameness in his hind leg. The last thing you want as someone who paid money to raise a winner in horse racing now deal with lameness in the rear leg. And at that point, with limited veterinary science and a nation facing World War II, the partners sold the stallion for $300 to cut their losses and run. Well, the new owner had no luck rehabilitating the stocky thoroughbred, so he gave the horse away for free. He said, I only lost 300 bucks, just take the horse. And a man, that three bars ended up changing hands four more times before a man named Sid Vale bought him and said, I'm going to start a breeding program in 1946. The rest is history. That lame stallion named Three Bars that no one wanted because he couldn't perform well ended up producing 23 crops of horses. And from 1945 to 1963, Three Bars sired 554 foals. He established probably the greatest American quarter horse in history, three bars outproduced himself in every single way. Upon his death in 1968, he was the all time world renowned leading sire. His offspring had earned more than $3 million from the 40s to the 60s, remember? From 1940 to 1960s. More than $3 million, his offspring won in horse racing. He was inducted into the Horse Hall of Fame. I did not even know there was such a thing. And it might even be at Churchill Downs. I could have probably saw it. The horse who couldn't secure his place in history as a performer produced horses who revolutionized the industry. Performers can make history. Producers shape history. Secretariat was a performer. Three Bars was a producer. Why in the world did I just talk about horse racing that long? Because I can't help but think about this in a spiritual context. 
I challenge you to do something right now as you kind of close your eyes and contemplate. Take a moment to evaluate your mark on the world. I just came from a funeral yesterday. Anthony Trimble, at the age of 35, received the diagnosis of his cancer, stage four cancer, six years ago. And in six years, he did more than most ministers will do their, in their entire lives. And so everyone referred to him as somebody who will live on, a psalmist, a worshiper, a man of God who learned how to not only worship in living, but also worship in dying. And the things that were said made me walk away going, I want to be a better person. So what's your mark on the world? Will you be a performer or a producer? Performers can make history. They accomplish special feats. Their name goes down in history. Producers shape history. They influence lives that determine the future. They may not be up front making a name for themselves, preaching camps and conferences and always in the limelight, but producers are investing in others. Maybe this is why Jesus is ascending into heaven after his resurrection and he leaves his followers with these parting words in Matthew 28, 19. He says, go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Jesus is ascending into heaven. He looks at his followers and he says, go. Go, this action word. Go. He did not say, even though we do this and it's biblical, he did not say, preach messages, be worship leaders, live good lives, give a lot of time, give a lot of money. He does not say that. He says, go make disciples. Or maybe we could say, go be a producer and not just a performer. We call this the Great Commission. It's our command from Jesus to go. In the Gospel of Mark, it's a command to go into all of the world. Mark 16, 15 says, He said to them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's our command to go. And since this is the word of God, the direct command of Jesus Christ, it's, it's an, anything short of that is an, it's an excuse. We're not, we're not fulfilling our calling. Because he looked at us and he says, go make disciples. You know, a lot of motivational speakers, consultants, physical trainers, weight loss specialists, they'll encourage people to reduce things into bite-sized pieces, literally and figuratively, I guess. They will say, if you have a big task, take it a handful at a time. Right? If you just stand around wringing your hands worrying about a monumental task, nothing will be accomplished. Getting a degree is going to take work, but standing there talking about how one day you hope to get a degree is not getting you anywhere. 
talking about how you feel overweight or unhealthy, but not stepping foot in a gym or changing the way you eat. It's not going to get us on the road to, from unhealthy to healthy. Contemplating about getting back in church and ministry, but not getting out of bed to come to church, that doesn't get you where you want to be. And you could just go on and on and on. Mark has an injury. Physical therapy, if he doesn't do it, it's going to be a while. Melissa's written books. If she says, you know, someday I hope to write another book, it's not going to happen. If she doesn't grab a pen and get on the, get on the computer. In the context of the Great Commission, this is a monumental task. And this is where the organization that we're a part of, the United Pentecostal Church International, this is where the vision statement is based. It is the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. That's the vision. That's the mission of the church. We can never forget that. That is the mission. The whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. But that's a monumental task. In some ways, I step back at times and go, I love that vision. I love that mission. It's so biblical. It's what God's called the church to do. And, you know, every once in a while I go, I don't like that mission. I don't like that statement. What? What did you just say? Jesus is like, hey, everyone, I'm drifting on out of here. Oh, by the way, go reach the whole world. Did, at that point, did like, were they all standing on the mountainside and they're like, all right, hands in. One, two, three, the world. I mean, like, what do you do at that point? I talk about this so often, like when I move or, you know, at some point we're going to get in the new church. And I'm going to be overwhelmed at times. Like, to me, I like things organized. Surprise. So, like, they're, my books, I have them organized, like, in categories, you know, like marriage stuff's here and leadership stuff's here and salvation stuff is here. I move and I, and I see boxes all over and I'm just like, uh, I don't even know where to start. Not to discourage you guys. Um, <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Like, my wife, I remember when we moved. I'll never forget. She's like, why are you standing there? Do something. <laughs> I'm like, I just need you to give me an order right now so I know what to do because I'm feeling overwhelmed. I mean, you think about this. Hey, go reach the world. All right. just feeling a little overwhelmed right now. <laughs> where, where, do, where, where do I start? <laughs> every person in the entire world needs Jesus. And not every person in the world knows Jesus. It's pretty simple. That presents a problem. And it can be an overwhelming problem. Because if you listen to the news, you just feel like the whole world's a problem. Like health is a problem and violence is a problem and addictions are a problem and sexuality is even becoming a problem in someone's life. Our gender, I mean like everything, ah, I just, it's overwhelming. 
And I think that's sometimes the goal of the enemy. Elijah felt totally alone. He's like, nobody else is serving you. God's like, why are you hiding out in a cave? Because I alone am the only one that's left. It's just me. I'm like, there's 450 prophets that have not bowed. What are you doing here? I think that's sometimes a trick of the enemy is to make you feel so overwhelmed that you can't make a difference. And the world's just this terrible place, and everybody's bad, and everybody's going to hell in a handbasket, and my Lord, I'm just the only person that's still good. No, you're not. There's all kinds of people who are looking and searching for something, and you have answers. So the cave's not the place to hide out. Let that speak to you in a number of different ways tonight. One where someone can say, hey, well, I can't change the whole world, so I'm not going to do anything about it. I'll just sit in my cave because it's just, I can't change the world. But I have to ask you a very important question, one that, that, one that could change your life if you get it. And that is this. Where does your world begin? Where does your world begin? See, every person in the world needs Jesus. Not every person knows Jesus. But before we think about the world needing Jesus, you know, we, I used to play that game. Anybody ever play that game? If you've been raised in church, maybe you might have played this game. You know, you spin the globe that was always on your teacher's desk. This is where, this is where we're going to go. And you stop and, like, you just guess. And sometimes you're in Arkansas and other times you're in France and other times you're in Sudan and... Can you just spin that? Did anyone ever play this game? No? Okay. A couple of you that were raised in church, all right. Like, I'm going to be a missionary in this country, and I ended up in Liberty, Missouri, and I never put my finger on Liberty, Missouri when I spun the globe. So I guess that game didn't work. Either that or I have a lot of work to do left in my life. So I haven't been to Sudan and France, and I have been to Arkansas. And I have been to Israel. But before we think about the world needing Jesus, how about we just think about the person in the office next to yours? Who works an office job where you have someone in an office next to you? Hey, look at that. How about in the cubicle across from yours? Anybody have a cubicle set up in your, in your job? Look at that. Who works construction, any type of construction? Got a couple. Anybody still go to school for anything? Any further ending education? Anybody have a neighbor like a human being that lives in a home next to your home? Some of you didn't raise your hand. Where do you live? How many of you have a living relative? Some of you poor people, all your family's not here. That's sad, too. How many of you work out at a gym? <laughs> Some of you are like, you had to go there. You had to, had to go there. <laughs> How many of you are planning on working out at a gym someday in your life, huh? I get this ankle better. I'll be dunking on Chris again. Just give me a couple weeks here. And then when I'm done, we're going to raise the rim back up. (laughs) 
Go reach the world. Doesn't have to mean packing up. Leaving home, jumping on a plane, and learning a new language. Oh, bless God, I'm 45, I'm 50, I'm 55. I don't know about leaving my house. I got kids, I got a dog. I can't go overseas. It's dangerous overseas. Who in the world talking about overseas? If God's calling you overseas, great, let's talk about it. But reaching the world, we, all, we, like, we often think like the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. That's why I say I'm not always a fan because instantly people tend to go, oh, yeah, we need to pray for global missions. The whole gospel, whole world, hallelujah. Let's have a mission service. That's awesome. We need mission services. But we have some people who work construction, who are in school, who have cubicles and offices, some have some relatives still alive, and some have neighbors that actually live in a home next to them. <laughs> and, and a couple of you work out at the gym, too. <laughs> How about taking the dog for a walk and learning the name of a new neighbor, dropping off a plate of cookies, if you can bake. If you can't, don't do that. <laughs> you, you don't want to be like, hey, I got a refuge. We're just thinking about you. And like, what are these things? They're slice and bake cookies, but I cooked them too long. Like, if you can't make slice and bake cookies, just, just find something else. How about looking at someone as you check out of the grocery store? How often do you look at the person in the eye? See their name tag. Hey, Tina, how you doing today? It works good, too, if it's the same gender or different age gaps. Because, like, if you're one age group asking the opposite gender, how you doing today? That could go get misunderstood. But genuinely looking at someone in the eye and just saying, how's your day going? My daughter and I checked into a hotel. I took her with me to the funeral. And a uh, lady checking us in wasn't very friendly, wasn't she? She was kind of overwhelmed. She was the only one working up there. And I started cracking jokes with her. I said, how are you? Man, they didn't tell me that last time. Good thing you're on the job here, you know, and I'm starting complimenting her. She ended up telling us to take free popsicles out of the freezer, and she's like, and you're a reverend? All right, we in the same family. She's like, yeah, I'll go to church. I was like, awesome, I love that. And like, just, just chatting. And I don't say that to prop myself up because Lord knows I don't do it enough. But it's amazing to me, just self-disclosure. It's incredible how much I do it when I'm away from home. Because when I'm home, my mind is on 4,927 things. And some of the times I'm talking to my kids and the conversation's not always, you guys are behaving so well in this line. I just wanted to thank you. You guys are doing an excellent job. Thank you for that tonight. But when we get out of town, it's like, you know, I'm just, there's nothing I can do. I'm not I'm here to do one thing. I was going to a funeral. And it's just amazing the way I can connect with people when I'm out of my element. Being, being honest. Anybody else deal with that or recognize that about yourself? 
And so that means we have to be like Anthony was. They talked about Anthony Tremble that everything he did the last six years of his life was incredibly intentional. Intentional. Because if we believe in the power of God and God can send an angelic host to someone's house just like he did in the book of Acts. But sometimes I think that we miss the fact that we're supposed to be the angel that God's sending. Like we're like, well, I'll be ready. If God sends an angel and they knock on my door, I'll tell them about Jesus. <laughs> well, I would too, but it doesn't happen very, very regularly. It's why Jesus looked at a mountainside full of people and said, go. You guys, go make disciples. Go intentionally and take this commission that I'm giving you and with purpose and intention leave this mountainside place where you're in my presence right now and I'm going to put my spirit in you so that you will have power to be witnesses. God didn't just give you the Holy Ghost to speak a cool prayer language. I'm putting my spirit in you to empower you to do what I've called you to do, which is go make disciples. And so I'm, I'm, I'm ascending and telling you the last thing I'm saying is teach them all. Go reach the world because this is the commission I'm giving the church. Otherwise, I could just take you with me now. But no, there's a world to reach. So they didn't just leave that place and say, I'm going back to work. Hopefully somebody falls at my feet and says, hey, I know that you go to church. Can I have your Jesus? They had to leave that place and say, okay, what's the plan? How can I intentionally begin to minister into lives? What happens when a couple thousand people all start walking off the mountainside and going into their communities intentionally trying to reach every person in their life? What happens in the city of Liberty when about 140 people leave a weekend of services and say, I'm going to my cubicle, to my school, to my construction site, to the workout facility, to the grocery store, the restaurant, to my family, to my neighbors, and I am intentionally going to see what types of conversations I can drum up. Because I think we're all good at like waiting, hey, when God opens the door, I'll go through it. But what about intentionally drumming up conversations that lead to some crucial, crucial conversations? How about walking over to your coworker and saying, I'm so pumped tonight. We start a small group at my house, and we always have a meal and discussion. Man, I'd love if your family would come sometime. We'd love to just share a meal and talk. It's non-threatening. I think you'd really enjoy it. Summer's been crazy. We're starting small groups again in, in, when school starts in, toward the end of September. So take the summer off and we're launching back in. When we begin to realize that we are to reach our individual world, not just the world, but your world, it's a bite-sized piece that I go, okay. See, too often, messages are preached on this topic and everyone's made to feel guilty. You ever been in a soul-winning discipleship, go reach your world message, and you just come to the altar and you're like, I'm terrible. I'm a horrible Christian. I'm not doing my job. I don't even know why God filled me with his spirit. I'm just, I don't even know. They're probably going to kick me out of the church because I'm worthless. Like, people feel like this a lot. 
Has anyone ever felt like that in a message? This is not that message. Because when we really boil this down, we, you know, we'll, we'll feel, we end up feeling bad, like we're not, oh, I need to do more. But here's the, here's the fact. We all want, we all recognize that God called us to do this. We believe God can do it. And we all want to obey the Great Commission. I don't know anybody that was like, does anybody want your friends and family to experience what you've experienced? To come to this church and just have a life change and God to get a hold of them. I don't know many people like, no, oh no, my goodness. I don't want anybody coming here. Good night. Like, if that's the case, why are you still coming here? No. Chances are we're all like, hey, I believe in this. Sometimes I'm intimidated. Sometimes I don't know where to start. Sometimes my life, I've just let it get t- too chaotic, and I'm not, I'm not paying attention to the people around me. And, and the messages like this, they just kind of bring our attention back to the mission. And the mission, as much as I'm excited, the mission is not to build another building. The mission is not to have incredible sound this weekend. The mission is not to look nice for church. The mission is not to give a huge offering this weekend. Like, these are all, I mean, praise God if all these things happen. I hope we have great music and great offering. We build a nice building. But the mission is that every believer is called to make disciples. And if we make disciples, you're going to end up having great music and great moves of God and a great building and great offerings. And, like, it's just going to happen when we make disciples. But the thing is, is we all want to make disciples. So I'm not making anybody feel bad because we are all in this together. But I think we all could admit and go, you know, I don't, I don't think I've been that intentional lately. I feel like I can be more intentional. And I think I can do it by get, beginning to focus not on the world, but on my world. My world does not begin in a remote village. I mean, I pray to God. We support missionaries, global missionaries. I hope someone takes the gospel to a remote village. But at this moment, careful, at this moment, God hasn't called me to a remote village. I always told him I'd go anywhere, but like, I'm just thankful he called me to liberty. I love liberty. I never wanted to live in a place, not only not a remote village, but I never wanted to live in a place where I'd be like, honey, I'm going into town. You need anything? Like, that was not me. Like, if I go, I'm like, where do you want to go eat? We got 37 choices. I love it. Love it. Yeah, but there's traffic everywhere. Yeah, it's humanity. It's beautiful. I love it. We, let, we make jokes. Jackie says, if, if you didn't have a wife and kids, you probably wouldn't own a car and live in a metro area and take subways places. I was like, yeah, maybe. But as I'm getting older, I'm getting more countrified. Come on. I've been waiting for Matthew to be around for a weekend service so I can wear those cowboy boots. But been at drill and... My world doesn't begin in a remote village. It doesn't begin in a jungle. It doesn't begin in a different country. My world begins in my home, on my block, at my gym, with my coworkers, 
at my grocery stores and restaurants. That's my world. Certainly, God calls people out of their world into a different world, and I'm so thankful for, for global missionaries. So don't get me wrong there. And that's one of the most incredible benefits of being a part of, a, of an organization is you work together with churches to send people into unchurched areas, and they don't all have to come out of your local church. You're supporting people from all around America that goes to other countries. It's beautiful, and we support them financially. But I don't want to look to global missions and look right past my own world right here. So tonight, as I close this up, I want to be secretariat and three bars. I want to be fast and win races, but that's not what I'm talking about right now. I want to be the person, secretariat and three bars. I want to be a performer and a producer. Performers can make history. Producers shape history. I want to perform the disciplines of Christian life as I follow Christ with my own commitment. I want the fruit of the Spirit. I want spiritual disciplines. I want to grow with God. I want to know Him. But my only goal is not to just make a name for myself. It's not to just get me to heaven. A performer says, no, there's the finish line. I'm going to set the world record, and I'm going to get there. Whoa, throw my name in lights, put me on the podium. Yes, I just made a difference, and I made a name for myself. Yeah, well, I hope, I hope that I'm going to get the straight and narrow. I'm, I hope I'm going to walk the streets of gold. I hope that God is going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You better believe I want to be standing on the podium when it's all over. I want to be a performer. But I certainly don't want to make heaven with, by myself without anybody coming alongside of me saying, thank you so much for investing in me. Thank you for taking time. Thank you for, thank you for believing in me. Thank you for, I know, man, I was a hassle at times. I cost money. I cost time and aggravation and stress and frustration. I called you late at night at times. And, and I'm going to talk about me. I'm talking about all of us. You believed in me like no one else believed in me, but you believed in me, and, and you introduced me to God, and you taught me a Bible study, and you invited me to a small group, and when my marriage was failing, you kind of counseled me, and you, you prayed with me at the altar, and, and then you stood by me when I was baptized in Jesus' name, and, and then you prayed with me when I started speaking in tongues and received the gift of the Holy Ghost, and, 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 and you did these things, and without you, I don't know where I'd be, I don't know where my kids would be, I don't know where my kids' kids would be because when you impact a life and make a disciple, it's generations that you impact. He sired, what did I say, 522 or something like that? Man. 
You know, when you ask people in the United Pentecostal Church, oh, the biggest church, the well-known pastor, it's the pastor, it's the preacher that's preaching all the camps and the conferences and big congregations who hold and host conferences, which are important. I love conferences. It's refreshing. It's good. I think ministry needs to be at those. Ministry needs to be fed and encouraged and, and challenged and convicted too. Absolutely. But to me, one of my heroes of faith that I wish I could have spent more time was with was a, a, a pastor in Los Angeles area. A bunch of Spanish-speaking pastors. Raul Orozco just died this past year suddenly. Do you know he had like, oh man, I'm not even going to do it justice, like 27 churches across the They had like a constituency of 8,000 people. And quarterly, they would rent out like a convention center and all get together. But do you know how many people in our organization don't even know that name? To my knowledge, he didn't ever preach conferences and camps. Probably, I don't know, I don't think he was a really gifted speaker. But man, did he make disciples? Over 8,000 people from churches all over Southern California. And I look at that and I was like, man, would I rather seat 5,000 and host conferences I'd rather have 27 churches with over 8,000 people and disciples all over a whole state. I'll take the latter. Yeah, but the first, you know your name more. I just want to hear God say, well done. I want to perform, absolutely. I want to do what God's called me to be, first and foremost. I don't want to preach to everybody else and I myself be a castaway. I want to make sure I'm right. then I want to produce. Jesus looked at those people and said, hey, I'm in that. Well, don't worry. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Wait here. The promise is coming. I mean, Acts picks up. He says, wait here. The promise is coming. You're going to be endued from power on high. You're going to be power, receive the Holy Ghost to be witness. Like, he's not going to leave us alone. But there's a clear command. Hey, I'm calling you all to go. And too often in 21st century, he thinks we, we're he's called us all to tell someone else to come. Would you come with me to church? Would you come with me? Like, and that's important. But when you have the power to be a witness, you don't have to just tell someone to come and then trust that I'm going to have the word from God for their life. You have a word from God for their life. You don't have to wait till Saturday, till Sunday, till Wednesday. You have a word from God for the person who works in the cubicle, the office next to yours, who works out on the weights next to yours, who shops at your stores, who lives on your street, who's related to you. And God's looking at us and he's saying, go, reproduce yourself, almost like three bars. I want hundreds of people to be winners, so to speak. Because I invested something in them. And not because I'm looking to get my name in lights, but because 
Rather than God just saying to me, well done, that good and faithful servant, I would love to show up with like a whole group of people that I loved and invested in and hear him say, well done, 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 well done. And just know like, wow. I remember teaching her. I remember praying with him. I remember taking his call. I remember when they weren't doing well. I remember when she said her husband would never come to church. He said his wife would never come to church. I remember when they said our kids are back so they're never going to come back. And they did. And, and generations and generations and generations are now walking the streets of gold because of a whole group of people that followed the command. Go. Go. Go reach the world. Yeah, but that's too big. Just bite-sized piece. Go reach your world. How's it going to happen? Well, I'll see what God does this week. No. If I said to everybody tonight, hey, if you, if you could somehow come up with, if you could just talk to people, cast vision, if you could just manage to get $500 for the building program, I'm going to give you 5000 If you can bring me 500 by Sunday, I'm going to get you 5000 It's a, it's a I, I'm loaded. I'm just going to give you five grand. If you can bring me 500. And you all would figure out a way to get you your $500. You'd be like, oh, I'm going I'm to start driving Uber. I'll deliver groceries. I'll start, I'll start knocking on my neighbor's door, asking if I can clean their house, cut their grass. Like, we'll figure it out. When something is of value, we will say, I am intentional, and I will do whatever I take, it takes to make that happen. So what if I said, sometime in the next four weekends, get someone to church? If every person left and said, well, I'm going to intentionally do it. I'm going to formulate a list. I'm going to write down names. I'm going to, God, put some in my heart. Who's hurting? Who's hungry? Impress that person in my heart. I want to go and have an intentional conversation with that person. I want to begin to just say, hey, how are things been going? I haven't talked to you in a while. God laid you on my heart, and I was just praying for you. And just see where the conversation goes. I want to, I want to be a performer, and I want to be a producer. I want to leave a legacy behind, not for my own good but so that there are lives who are loving and serving Jesus Christ and investing in their children because of something I invested in them. That's the way the New Testament church grew, and that's God's plan for his church even yet today. So I invite you to find a place to pray around the front here tonight and to just begin to ask him, God, who? How can this happen? Who can I reach? God, what, what can I do? Help me to be intentional. Help me not to be so consumed with my own schedule that I can stop and look and, and look people in the eye and have crucial conversations and, and be intentional about what I say and how I say it and when I say it, God. And you, you promised that you were going to give me your spirit so that I'd have a power to be a witness. So, Lord, I'm not going to do this by myself. I, I need your power. I need your authority. I need your, your wisdom and your direction. I need your compassion, Lord. I need your boldness, Jesus. Help me today, I pray, God. Lord, I pray, help us to walk out of this place and to go reach 
our world, not just the world, but our world, Lord.